Welcome to the Women Want Strong Men podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stuttle. I believe it takes a strong man to appreciate a strong woman, and I'm here to bring a unique perspective to empower both sexes. I love talking with health experts, thought leaders, influencers, and people who have insightful information to share with us about our health, our society, and our pursuit for success and prosperity. So hello and welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Alan Ballman. He is a full-time board-certified hair restoration physician who has treated over 33,000 patients since starting his medical hair loss practice, Ballman Medical, in 1997 in Boca Raton, Florida. Dr. Ballman has been featured in hundreds of news stories, which include NBC Today, CBS Early Show, ABC Good Morning, CNN, The Doctors, Bulletproof Radio with David Asprey, Men's Health, GQ, Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, The New York Times, Oprah Magazine, and many more. Dr. Ballman was voted the number one top hair restoration surgeon in North America by Aesthetic Everything for the sixth consecutive year, top hair restoration surgeon of the decade and received the 2022 Lifetime Achievement Award in Hair Restoration. He has also been recognized by Forbes as one of the 10 CEOs transforming healthcare in America. Wow, it's an impressive bio, doctor. You've treated a lot of patients and have changed a lot of lives. Absolutely, Amy. Thank you so much for having me, really. It's a pleasure to be here. I mean, that's quite the honor to be voted the number one hair restoration surgeon in the country. It's super exciting, you know, and especially when it's such a democratic process, you know, they ask my colleagues, my patients, the general public, people who are in the aesthetic field, all of those folks are asked to nominate physicians and then they eventually vote. And actually, Aesthetic Everything has the largest voting base of anyone in the industry of aesthetics and cosmetic procedures and treatments and manufacturing and so forth. So, I mean, look, 25 years ago, we never set out to win awards or things like that. And honestly, you know, it's super nice to be nominated and to actually be included in in that award, as well as being in the top 20 in the world by Spencer Speck Stevenson and in Ape to Gentleman. But like I said, we never set out to get those awards. We just set out to change lives. And I think really that's the most important thing And really from the beginning in the mid-1990s, we were just looking to change a life one at a time with those folks who have hair loss out there. And I just built the practice from there. Well, it's quite an accomplishment. I know it takes a lot of time, dedication, a lot of continuing education, and it's impressive. So what percentage of your clientele is male versus women? Because this is one area that I think men are just as vain as women when it comes to the hair. Yeah. So it's interesting in the world of hair transplant surgery, when I first got into the field in the 1990s, 90% of the patients were men. But what I discovered very quickly after opening my practice here in Boca Raton, Florida, is that we had a huge influx of women who were struggling with hair loss and they just didn't know where to turn. They didn't get good satisfaction from their dermatologist. Their hairstylist had a little bit of knowledge, but not a lot. And they didn't really know where to go. So they would come to me And it was kind of my job to figure out, well, first of all, many of them were not great candidates for hair transplants. I mean, unless they needed eyelashes or eyebrows or scar coverage from plastic surgery or something like that. Most women came in with traditional female pattern hair loss, which is androgenetic alopecia. And I had to work really hard to figure out what therapies and treatments would be good for those women with hair loss. And so quickly, we got the reputation for being able to take care of women because we were getting great results. So combination of medical therapies with good diagnoses, treatments that we provided, as well as tracking, turned really the practice into about 50-50 through the door, men and women. So we see almost an equal number of men and women, and it can be a desperate 
situation for men when they have hair loss at an early age, but it can also be a very, very desperate situation for women, especially if they're seeing some shedding and thinning, and they don't want to look like their mom or their grandma. They want to look young and youthful. They want to feel as good as they look. That's what I was going to ask. Like, Are the women doing the hair restoration surgery as well? Because I noticed that you're doing eyebrows and eyelashes. Yeah. So we have performed hair transplantation on women for many, many years. And a lot of women that seek out my therapies and treatments are great candidates for hair transplantation. But you have to be careful because it's different than a guy who's got total baldness in an area that you're trying to restore. In women, they typically have hair in that area. So we've got to get in between those existing hairs. So you better make sure you've got good magnification, that you've got small instruments, great lighting, good equipment, and an amazing team to help execute those procedures. And also even especially with the latest and greatest minimally invasive transplants that we do, you know, we don't want to be shaving a big wide area on a female patient like we do for some of our male patients. We've developed a new technique that allows us to take the individual follicles one at a time without trimming the hair. And so that's opened up the door for a lot more women. So let's talk about how you do it versus how it was done 10, 15 years ago where you had the big scar on the back of your head. Right. So when I told my parents that I was thinking about hair transplant surgery as a career back in the 1990s, they said I was crazy. What would I be doing? You know, doing plugs or something like that, a painful procedure that's similar to adult circumcision. I said, no, 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 it's different. (laughs) And so people have sometimes in that in their minds that this is a painful or ugly looking procedure. Like, why would you do it? But of course, today, the technology is so different. So it's not pluggy. It's not unusual looking anymore done properly with the appropriate techniques, taking the individual grafts one at a time now. So we don't even have to cut a large strip or use stitches or staples or anything like that in the back of the scalp. I've helped pioneer the minimally invasive style of hair transplant, which is follicular unit extraction or FUE for short. And so back in the early 2000s, it wasn't simple. It wasn't easy. We didn't have good instrumentation. Again, we didn't have good magnification or lighting, but these all developed over time. And so somewhere around 2007 to 2010, my practice shifted completely from the old style harvesting techniques to like nearly 100% FUE. So all minimally invasive. That's what patients wanted. And that's what we were able to provide. I was just going to ask for the men. So are you, you're shaving down part of their head or where are you picking where you're going to pull the hair from? How does that process work? So when we talk about how we handle the donor area today, it's really important to know that the hair around the sides and the back of the scalp is what we say privileged. It's immune to male pattern and female pattern hair loss generally. Not to say that other things can't affect hair all over the scalp or all over the body for sure, but generally these follicles around the sides and the back are not affected by hormones. So that enables us to harvest those follicles, put them in the new location. If you would do that with artistry, obviously you can create something that looks normal and natural and they will live and grow there permanently. So for the FUE technique, traditionally, you'd have to shave some area. Now, for maybe a smaller procedure, you could just shave a small stealthy kind of zone that was covered by a comb over of hair, no problem. The rest of the hair that left behind would be just growing out. You'd grow out a little layer there. And that's how we've done it in the past for women and for men with longer hair. For guys who want a more of a heroic restoration, you know, that requires larger numbers of grafts, certainly a wider shave of that area is going to be more efficient. It's going to enable us to take more hair at one time, move more hair follicles around in a single procedure. If you're okay with that, you know, let's say shorter haircut for a while. But if you're not okay with the haircut and you don't want to shave it down, 
that's okay. No problem. As I was saying before, we developed a technique that allows us to harvest hair follicles without trimming the hair. Wow. And then implant them where we need to. So I guess it depends on which way they're going here, but how much downtime can a patient expect? Yeah. So that's what everybody wants to know. How much time am I you know, out of the loop, so to speak? So we've talked about that donor zone. Obviously, if you have a shorter haircut than you're used to, not only do you have that maybe six or eight days of healing, but then you've got the regrowth of that hair, which, you know, requires about a quarter of an inch to half inch a month of growth, right? But the other area, the recipient area is where we put the hair. That also takes about six to eight days for it to heal. But then it's back to normal. So you could be in back in the gym with this kind of procedure in three or four days because there's no stitches or staples. FUE gives you that really, really nice shortened recovery. Most patients don't need any pain medication after a day or so. And they can be back to 100% of their routine. And that could include you know, wearing a helmet, whether you're, you know, biking or riding horses or jumping out of airplanes within a week, you know, no worries, no problem. We're playing soccer, things like that, or football. What about like facial swelling? Will they get bruising or inflamed or you a little bit more advanced in your treatments where you can cut down on some of that? So bruising is extremely rare. You're not going to see bruising with these types of procedures today unless we're working in the eyebrow or the eyelashes typically. Swelling is expected because there's a large surface area that we're working on. There's a lot of injections that are being done comfortably, of course, but a lot of fluid is being pushed into the scalp for a variety of reasons, not just for anesthetic, but also to stretch the skin a little bit. So you're going to have some fluid moving around. Now, if let's say your work for a male patient is just in the crown area, you may not see any swelling whatsoever, like zero. But if the work is being done more in the frontal area, the hairline, the temples, then you're going to probably see a little bit more swelling. So the swelling lasts about a couple of days. So if it comes on in one or two days, it usually goes away in one or two days. But it's not like the days of old. Yeah, like the old days. How do you get the hairline to look natural? That seems like an art. Oh, well, that's the whole secret. I could tell you, but then, you know, I'd have to kill you. No, I'm just teasing. So, you know, one of the things that my early mentor in plastic surgery taught me is that you have to be a student of nature. And what he meant by that is that whether you were creating an, a rhinoplasty, a nose job, or a cheek implant, or even body contouring or facelift, you have to understand mother nature's rules of beauty. And so there are certain rules and we can all appreciate beauty, you know, perhaps even all of us a little bit differently, but we can mostly agree, oh, that looks normal. That looks natural. It doesn't look contrived, right? So the most egregious mistakes are seen on Instagram every day of the week, right? You know, you see lips that are too large and so forth. We don't have to go into that. But the hairlines like from large, let's say, cookie cutter clinics or hair transplant mills are going to look straight. Yeah. Now, Mother Nature never makes a straight hairline. Like not even a row of ducks is a straight <laughs> line. So the last thing you want to do, if you want to look normal, is to have a straight hairline. That's just not normal. That just does not exist in nature. And so when we're students of nature, we realize that the hairline has architecture. And that means not just two-dimensionally, like a wavy randomized design, but also a little bit of a recession in the corners. It's a curve on a round surface, right? Your skull, essentially. Right. Your scalp. And so designing that is going to be different based on ethnicity, based on the patient's age, based on facial features and proportions, based on their goals. And then the microarchitecture is the angle of each and every hair and the position of the hairs so that it varies across the hairline. So it looks like 
not a big wall of hair sticking straight up like a porcupine, but that it flows naturally with your existing hair. And, you know, that's something that you learn, not just by doing a hair transplant over and over again, but by being critical of your results and also looking at what Mother Nature does in reality. This is why you're voted number one, because you're good. (laughs) You're an artist. When you do something 10 or 12,000 times, you know, you're going to get pretty good at it. Those are the kinds of, you know, numbers that we have. You know, I've I've treated over 30,000 patients, obviously, but it was really, really important for me in the early days to study natural hairlines, even hairlines that were not receded or had any loss. I looked at adolescent hairlines. I looked at teenager hairlines. I looked at guys in their 20s and 30s and 40s so that we would know how to recreate something that looks normal and natural. You can always add hair in to make more density later, but it's really hard to fix a hairline that's created abnormally. So that's what's happening. People are coming back overseas from these clinics and you know, clinics like, as you know, just in, even in plastic surgery for women, they'll go to Costa Rica or Mexico or something for a cheap procedure. And obviously there are destinations around the world for that in hair as well. And many of these guys are coming back and they're, they've stripped out all their donor hair. So they have no donor hair left. And these young guys are coming back with a big block of hair in the front of their head and no therapies or treatments to protect them from ongoing hair loss. And it's really a big disaster, unfortunately. You know, we just try to educate the general public to, you know, look, I'm not the surgeon for everybody. Get multiple opinions, get some different ideas, get some artistic questions going. Like, what is actually my long-term plan and what is the right hairline for me at my age? And do I have enough hair in the donor zone, right, in the back to support it? Can it be expected that a guy might need multiple treatments? Because I know you said the hair is permanent once it's there, but let's say they hadn't lost all their hair prior to seeing you and you do one. And let's say maybe they don't take care of the existing hair that they have. And then that falls out. You might have to go back in, assuming they have enough donor hair to do another treatment. Well, absolutely. Most of my patients are not completely bald, like my dad was, for example, before he came in for his hair transplants. Most of my patients are in the middle of their hair loss pattern. And so we have to arrest the hair loss process first. I mean, that's the first order of business. I spend a huge amount of time during the consultation talking to patients about how to keep the hair they have. Because if you don't do that piece of the puzzle, then the hair transplant is a fool's journey, in my opinion. The transplanted hair is permanent, relatively permanent, privileged, as we said before, but your other hair is not. And how are we going to take care of that? What are the things that you recommend? So there's a lot of things that we do, you know, and for men and for women, we'll look at risk factors like what's going on in the heredity, you know, in the genetics of biologic relatives, you know, to give us an idea. What are the medical conditions that are going on? What are abnormal illnesses or hormone changes or poor nutrition or diet, not just diet, but also sleep-wake cycles and activity levels and things like that and stress, which can be detrimental to hair. Toxic behavior, smoking, alcohol, things like that can also dysregulate the hair follicles and cut down on the blood supply to the scalp and things like that. So we try to assess the risks. We look at each person individually and holistically for sure. And then we talk about, well, what are the you know main triggers for hair loss? In men, we know there's a hormone in the body called DHT, dihydrotestosterone. That's a metabolite of testosterone that triggers the miniaturization of the hair follicles in a very specific pattern, right? The receding hairline, the thinning in the crown, and it goes from there. So if we can, for example, lower or block the effects of the DHT, then that would be good. 
if we eliminate some things that might increase DHT, like some creatine supplements have been shown to increase DHT and such. So we want to try to mitigate that as much as we can. There are benefits to reducing DHT and there are some minor risks. So we need to talk about that. And then we have to enhance the function of the hair follicle, right? So making sure that the follicles in the scalp are in a good place, meaning that the, that the scalp is healthy, that there's no itching or inflammation going on that could dysregulate the follicle. Making sure that we can stimulate the follicle. That could be done pharmaceutically. That could be done nutraceutically. That could be done with photobiomodulation. Red light therapy today is FDA cleared for hair regrowth, as we know. And then there's regenerative treatments like PRP and platelet-rich plasma, PDO grow and exosome therapy, and even the new TED transepidermal delivery system. So there's a variety of things that we have at our disposal to try to put together and comport this medical management treatment plan. Okay. So there's a lot in there that I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's just the general overview, right? Because if the follicle's dead and gone, then we have to transplant it, but we have to protect and enhance the other hair. We have to have a plan for that. And maybe before I ask the questions, you know, break down some of those things that you just mentioned, you're looking at the hair, you know, exactly how much hair someone has, the follicle size, where it's dead, where it can grow back, right? Maybe just briefly tell the people what you're looking at there. Amy, the diagnostics and the tools that we have now are just amazing and incredible. AI-powered, artificially intelligent-powered microscopes to count hairs and sort hairs based on their caliber in different areas of the scalp. So we can compare your best area, which is usually near the occipital zone, right, to the other areas that are thinning and weakening to count hairs to know how much density has already been lost. And if there hasn't been so much density loss... Maybe there's hair caliber or length that's changing. And that's obviously part of the growth cycle issue in male and female pattern hair loss. So we do these measurements with devices like the hair check tool, the hair metrics computer, with devices like the hair cam pro. I mean, these are all different ways to look at the scalp and to measure what's happening, as well as look at pigmentation of the hair as well, you know, at the same time. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so let's hit on the red light therapy. So you mentioned red light therapy, FDA cleared. We just bought the light stem LED bed from well, when we were at A4M in Vegas a few months ago and the pro panels. And I believe in hair restoration, you guys are using it, a cap. I'm assuming maybe you can use a panel or some sort as well. But how often does somebody need to do that? And tell me what kind of results you're seeing with that. Yeah, so the devices that you're talking about are typically LED devices, and although the LEDs have gotten more powerful, they're still, in terms of the current evidence and the current theory and in practice, is that the laser light devices are going to be a little bit better for the scalp for a variety of reasons. The beams travel in a straight line between existing hairs. There's a little bit of a what we call a sparkle, or when the light hits the skin, there's a speckle effect, actually. And the lasers develop and, and deliver a lot more power, a lot more photons, actually, which is the, you know, what's getting, being converted into ATP at a cellular level. So the laser caps have been available for over 10 years. And the newest, latest and greatest one is called the turbo laser cap. And it's just a reimagination, a reengineering of what you would typically see fitting under a baseball cap. Now it's available in a collapsible format with a lot more laser diodes, 25% more coverage, much faster treatment times, as I mentioned, portable, completely collapsible, battery pack rechargeable. And those are devices that patients can take home with them. They'll use typically five minutes a night if they got that top end device, the, the turbo laser cap. 
And that's going to start to improve the quality of the existing hair. So if the follicle's dead and gone, or basically beyond repair, and there are certain you know numbers that we use for that. Are the hairs that are being produced less than two millimeters? Are they thinner than 30 microns? Then those follicles are basically beyond the point of no return. We don't have a technology to bring them back to life. But if the hair is doing better than that in a zone, then red light therapy can certainly help. And of course, as you know, there's no downside to red light therapy. There's no side effects, zero, none. And it can decrease inflammation, improve hair growth. It can be used for healing after a hair transplant. The turbo laser cap has a lifetime warranty. So it's actually your least costly treatment over time if you get a good device. So people need to really think of their hair kind of as a plant. The plant needs light to photosynthesize and grow your hair follicles, assuming that they're still alive, you can get those to produce ATP and grow again, come healthier. Yeah. So Bauman in German means farmer. (laughs) (laughs) I just learned that uh, recently. And so I think it comes from the root word bow, which is tree and then man, you know, person. So like, you know, a tree person, but you know, it's translated into farmer. So yeah, so I'm a scalp farmer really by trade. (laughs) That's what I do. Yeah. But taking that analogy a little bit further, we always talk about, can we make birch trees into oak trees, right? Well, if you've got oak trees in the back and your hair up in the front is more looking like birch, thinner, weaker, wispier, obviously, there's some opportunity there for improvement. Making sure the soil is good, right? Scalp health, decreasing inflammation, improving the microbiome of the skin, of the scalp is really important. We're doing a lot of research on that these days. Certainly giving it light, and by light, I mean red light, laser light therapy is a good plan. There's also topical medications if you want to take it further in terms of like, you know, watering the plants. Topical medications can be applied to the scalp to not only block the effects of DHT or eliminate DHT, but also to directly stimulate the follicle with minoxidil and and finasteride combinations or other things too. So you mentioned the importance of the health scalp. What do you see people doing on a regular basis that just makes you cringe? Like, what about like sodium laurel sulfate shampoo? For people that don't know, that's like what makes it bubble. Like, should people not be using that? Do you not care either way? Like, talk about some of those things that you see that you're like, no, do stop, please. Well, sodium laurel sulfate has a purpose, right? I mean, the people who are really against sulfates say, well, it's an engine degreaser. Well, yeah, of course it is. If you're going to try to cleanse your scalp and cleanse your hair, you need something that has a high degree of surfactancy. And that's just the ability to basically be a detergent, to take off the oils, to take off the dirt, the debris or whatever, or even your, your hair products in many cases need to be washed and rinsed out. And something with sodium laurel sulfate is going to have a high degree of surfactancy. The problem is, is that as we as a society here, especially in America, more frequently shampoo, either because we're working out or because we're told to shampoo every day from a shampoo company, everybody dried out their scalps, especially as we age, we produce a little bit less sebum, which is the natural oil of the scalp. It's like, imagine using a harsh soap on your face day in and day out. It would dry out your skin it would look different. It would feel different. It could get inflamed. Well, guess what? If you did that to your scalp, the same thing could happen. As we're younger, sometimes we produce more oils. We can shampoo every day. No problem. But to vilify sodium laurel sulfate, I take a little bit of offense at that. Of course, my products are sulfate-free, so I do believe they sh- it should not be in there. We use a more gentle surfactant, but we still have to have some kind of surfactant in there. I always warn my patients and the general public also, if you're taking out sodium lauryl sulfate, this villain, right? Well, hold on a second. What are you replacing it with? 
sometimes what you replace it with is just as bad or worse than the problem that was caused by the sodium lauryl sulfate. You see that in the food industry, yeah. Yeah, so we love the, the feeling of the foam, right? The lather and the suds because it means like we're getting clean and you know everybody loves that. And that's why patients come in for treatments in my scalp clinic in the head spa department, the trichology department for scalp treatments. It feels great when you have somebody rubbing your scalp with the specific types of products that we have. But if everybody wants to know, well, how often should I shampoo? Well, that's different for everybody. It depends on your lifestyle, your age, your sebum production. So there's no one rule for that. But so I always cringe if someone's saying, oh, well, you know, I'm shampooing every day, but my scalp is so dry and flaky. Well, let's figure out, you know, maybe we don't need to shampoo as much. And then someone says, oh, I only shampoo once a week. And then I put the microscope on their scalp and it's like, oh, it's all crusty and flaky and it's got all this buildup and it's just a nasty mess. And they wonder why they're having some inflammation and seborrheic dermatitis and, and all of that. It's a dysregulation of the microbiome that's feeding off of that oil and skin cell layer that should be exfoliated, but not. Okay. So you also mentioned PRP, and I want to dive into that a little bit because I feel like, you know, I see clinics that are popping up and it's similar to like what we deal with in the men's health that maybe really shouldn't be offering this. And I noticed like the PRP reps, because we do PRP, like the P shot, they're like, well, you have the kits. Why don't you start injecting the hair now? And I'm like, our providers don't know anything about injecting hair, but you see this pop up that all these clinics, it's just like this add-on service. And I feel like patients need to understand what type of PRP they really need and what kind of PRP you're using and maybe what to like look out for there or what to ask the provider. So maybe you can elaborate on your PRP process. Yeah. So all PRP is certainly not created equal. We've learned this because in the early days of PRP, I'm talking, you know, over 12,000 treatments ago in 15 years, we started with the basic protocol, which was the one that they used for wound healing and also for skin. And that was a simple test tube gel separator type of process where you would just pipette the PRP or what you thought was PRP out of the test tube and you would inject that into the scalp. And so sometimes we got some good results and sometimes we didn't. What those providers are doing with the skin PRP kits or even the P-Shop PRP kits is probably not strong enough to get any kind of effect on the scalp that's substantial. And so what should you look for in a PRP provider? Well, first of all, if you're having a hair loss issue and you're getting treated at your clinic for ED, you know, you might not be in the right spot. I'm just saying exactly. that there may be something, you know, you may want to think about which head you're treating. I don't know, you know, in terms of the, the therapies. But it truly, if you have a hair loss problem, my first advice is to seek a specialist and get some measurements. So patients come to me, they say, well, I had a series of PRP down the block, dermatologist, and they recommended three treatments and I didn't have any results. I said, well, did they measure you? And they were like, well, what do you mean? Well, like they provided a treatment. Did they do a baseline measurement? And they say, well, what of my hair? I said, yeah. Did they tell you what your hair measurements were? What was the caliber? What was the density? And did it at least stop the hair loss process that you were having? And many of those patients say that, no, they never had a measurement. So that's the first sign that you're in the wrong place right? Because if you're getting treated for blood pressure elevation and they didn't take your blood pressure, how are they going to know if the treatment worked or not? Yeah, good example. Right? So that's important. So baseline is really important for that. And then the other thing to look out for is when someone says, well, you're going to need a series of these things, three treatments over three or four months. Well, that's telling me that the PRP that they're using is about 10 to 15 years out of date. 
in terms of the technology we have today. And so there's a great study out there. It's called What Is and What Is Not PRP? And that's in the clinical literature. You can look it up in PubMed. And it tells you that you need a certain platelet concentration to be actually considered PRP. Well, if you're doing a, a spin in your gel separator tube with a salad spinner or centrifuge, you're probably not even getting to 1 million platelets per microliter. And that is the lowest threshold for actually calling your treatment a PRP. But most providers have no idea what they're producing. In fact, the testing that we've done shows that some of these gel separator test tubes, and I think you know what I'm talking about, yep. sometimes you can lose so many platelets in the gel separator that you end up with a lower concentration of platelets than you even had in the whole blood to begin with. That's not so good. The research from my regenerative medicine friends, and I've always been involved with regenerative medicine for many, many years. I've been a part of A4M for over 20 years, and many of my friends are in orthopedic surgery. My training is in New York. I did surgical training. I'm not a dermatologist, obviously. And so the regenerative folks, they taught me what true PRP is, and they showed me the data that says that you need 1.5 million platelets per microliter in order to get an effect, a true effect on stem cell mobilization and also new blood vessel formation. And so, oh, I'm like, this is like 15, you know, 12 years ago. I'm like, oh my God, that's what I want in the scalp. I want to get stem cells moving around and I want to get new blood vessels forming, right? That's basically what some of the other treatments do, like minoxidil, for example. So that is the basic guideline, 1.5 million platelets per microliter. Well, guess what? Gel separator, single spin, doesn't do it. So what do you need? You need a dual spin. Integrative PRP is the company that we trust and we use their kits. It's amazing. We routinely, every single day, every single spin, we test the whole blood in a Coulter counter. And then we test a few drops of the PRP that we've created in that same Coulter counter to know what's the final concentration. That's really cool. Yeah. Every single day, we're getting 1.4 to 1.6 million platelets per microliter. We're getting over seven and a half cc's of injectable. And we're mixing that with biologic scaffolds. So our treatments are creating a powerful effect of hair growth. That's not just a once a month thing that you got to keep coming back for. It's going to last a full year. So 10 to 14 months of boost is what you're getting from the Bauman PRP protocols. So the same with the red light therapy. This isn't going to, if that follicle's dead, PRP is not making that hair grow back. This is to make the existing hair and the follicles healthier and grow. Correct? You betcha. There's no way to make a new hair follicle. But remember, it's also it's how close you're looking, right? So if you're looking out a second story window, you can't really see a, a blade of grass turning into a tree, you know, like later on. You just look, you know, oh, there's a tree there. Well, you know, if you got that blade of grass to turn into a tree, that's pretty good. And so the level of microscopic magnification will enable you to determine the effects. So things like hair check plus the microscopy, the hair metrics evaluations, they tell us how well we're doing. Also, when the treatments start to decline in terms of their effects. So we know when to repeat it. So we now know with this particular protocol, for example, Amy, we're going to have to repeat that treatment in about 10 to 14 months most of the time. But some patients get two years. Whenever you're doing, like, let's just say you're repairing a hairline, would you do PRP on top of that? Absolutely. And would you like microneedle it in or because you've already made those, I don't want to say incisions, however you're placing that follicle? The sites. Yeah, the recipient sites. How are you placing that PRP in there? Yeah, so you're right on target. So we can use, we use PRP 99% of the time with every hair transplant. 
and we can do it by injection into the recipient zone. We can treat the area that we're not transplanting that needs to be protected. We can even put PRP in the graft storage solution if we want. I've done that many times. Sometimes we use exosomes for that now. We also use PRP for the purpose of wound healing so that the areas heal faster and better and quicker. So we're decreasing downtime, decreasing inflammation, improving the recovery and the speed of the recovery at the same time. So PRP is magical if you do it right. Right. The other thing that I would tell your listeners and your followers is that if someone says that they're going to do PRP without local anesthetic or they're just going to slather a little bit of gel on you, I will tell you, first of all, you're in for a painful process. And if you like your teeth drilled without anesthesia, I guess that's your preference. But that's so ridiculous and antiquated, I can't even believe it. We use a ring block. It takes five minutes to put it in. It's a painless process with nitrous oxide that you're breathing. And your entire scalp goes numb, just like you're going to have a hair transplant. We use the same local anesthetic for PRP. It's 100% painless. That's awesome. So in our clinic, we use the hair science shampoo, which I think we talked before we got on the on here that you're involved with that company and helped develop something. So you're a fan of the hair science shampoo. Absolutely. So hair science is a company just going back, you know, probably over 20 years or so that took a pharmaceutical recipe for minoxidil that was working amazingly well in Latin America and brought that to the North American market, brought that to the United States and also to Canada eventually. And so like, why is that so important? Well, Remember that minoxidil topically, right, was available generically, you know, has been available generically for many, many years, Rogaine and the knockoff generics. But routinely, patients say that either it didn't work all that well or that it was just so nasty and greasy, it was terrible for their hairstyle, or worst case scenario, it created some nasty inflammation, which obviously, as we've said before and earlier in the conversation, not good for hair quality and also quality of life. You don't want to be like itching and flaking. So, The cool thing about 82M, which is a compounded pharmaceutical formula of minoxidil, is that it's really user-friendly. So like if you ask someone who's used Rogaine to give a score, you know, like A through F, F being a failing grade, like how was your experience with Rogaine? They'll probably give it a D or an F most of the time. But if you ask our patients that use 82M, for example, which has been available, you know, for 15 years or more, over well over 150,000 prescriptions here in my office, and that doesn't include the ones that are around the country, patients will give it maybe not an A plus, but they'll give it like an A minus, you know, they'll give it a really good score. And the reason is because it's not greasy, it's not gooey, it doesn't get all over the place. And it's super effective. It's got the minoxidil, of course, 5%. It's got tretinoin, which is retin-A, which helps the penetration and may also have some hair growth properties in and of itself. It also has flucinolone, which is a mild anti-inflammatory that's so mild and low concentration that you can use it daily on the scalp. And that helps address some of the microinflammation as well. So those combinations plus a very, very creative way that they mix it together or emulsify it is really the key to the whole thing. So some people say, you know, nanoparticles or liposomes and things like that. There's a lot of terminology for penetration in the world of pharmacy. And a lot of it is just kind of made up names. But the bottom line is, how does it feel and how does it work? And 82M has worked great. And so that's why it's in demand. And it's probably the number one alternative to Rogaine in terms of a prescription. So that's the hair science story. Yeah. And we like them. We've been using them for years now. When guys are concerned about their hair looking for a better shampoo, we always recommend the hair science. All that, Amy. You're not putting them on the Bauman MD boost? (laughs) (laughs) We haven't talked yet. This is my first time meeting you. (laughs) Oh, okay. Wow, we'll have to send you a a case or two of that stuff. Uh, Well, I want to ask about supplements uh, here in a sec. 
Yeah, I, we have our own line of shampoos and conditioners. Okay, that's yeah. awesome. I love the 82S as well because 82S is a combination of shampoo and conditioner. The 82M is a topical med- prescription medication. 82F is all the things that I said about 82M with the addition of finasteride topically. So that's really the key thing, I think, if we kind of connect the testosterone issue to the topical and the DHT. I mean, that's really what patients need most is a topical finasteride, especially if they want to avoid systemic side effects, even though systemic side effects only happen 2% of the time. And that's my next question. So if you have male pattern baldness or androgenic alopecia, and let's just say you're, you're not even on testosterone, are you inevitably going to lose your hair if you do nothing about it? And if you do these treatments that you're talking about, can you slow it down or stop it? Right. So the speed of androgenetic alopecia and the onset is something that's genetically determined. So there are some people that have just a slow process. If you live to, let's go say 100, you know, and your process is slow, you may still have some hair left by the time you reach 100 years old. But there are other folks, I mean, there are patients in my practice that have gone nearly completely bald in their 20s. You know, I have young men in high school who have a bald spot in their crown area and have receding hairlines. So for them, the speed of androgenetic alopecia and the, let's just say the intensity or the momentum of it is phenomenally fast and powerful. And that's unfortunate because, you know, sometimes they're coming to the clinic too late. But I will say that if you use the proper treatment modalities and you get on the therapy early, you have a 90, more than 90% chance of looking the same or better in the long run. And we know that data very clearly from the 30,000 patients that we've treated, right? If you stick with the regimen, we know that for the long term, you're going to do okay. You're going to do great. And, you know, even if we come across some speed bumps where, oh, the topical medication was irritating and the, or you had an issue with the oral medication and we had to switch it to PRP and laser light or, or do something more aggressive like PDO grow or something like that or exosome therapy, you know, as long as you stay on top of it, I'm a firm believer you can arrest the hair loss process. And we also know that from transplanting patients, right? So we've done a transplant for a patient who had severe male pattern hair loss. We got them on therapy 10 or 15 or more years ago, and they basically look the same. Well, they may have lost a little bit, but they look the same, which is good. So I do believe that with appropriate therapy, we can handle just about any kind of male and female pattern hair loss with the right motivation and and continual therapy or treatment. Men with extensive hair loss, you know, if they've never had a hair transplant and they have a limited supply of donor hair around the sides and the back, sometimes we tap into the beard and use that as a supply, you know, for those extreme cases and cases that have been turned down by other physicians. They've been told they don't have any more donor hair. They can't do it this way or that way. Yeah, we turn those into viable cases with beard harvesting. That's really cool. A lot of interesting things can be done. So a couple of weeks ago, I read a blog post by Jay Campbell. I think you've been on his podcast, but he said blood flow restriction to the scalp is the number one reason for hair loss. Do you agree with that? Well. No, I don't agree. That's the number one reason because of all the things that we've talked about. That having been said, blood flow is important for just about every kind of organ function. Does the scalp bleed profusely when we do a transplant on a bald patient? Yes, of course it does. So there's plenty of blood flow there. Now, is the blood flow in the right location? Is it in the superficial area where the dermal papillas should be? Maybe, maybe not. But remember that blood vessels are symbiotic with the organs that they supply. 
So if you put a hair follicle, let's say, into a wound that's, let's say, partly necrotic, for example, that is having trouble healing in a diabetic or something like that, what they found, interestingly, is that when you put follicles into those poorly healing wounds, it helps the wounds heal better. Why does it do that? Well, the hair follicle is a very highly metabolic organ. It actually can demand more blood flow. We improve the look and the feel of scar tissue on the scalp by implanting hair into it. I do take an important tact, if you will, or insight into blood flow because obviously, as I said, poor blood flow is either a symptom or problem or trigger for a lot of dysregulation in in many different organs. And so I'm a keen advocate of nitric oxide supplementation. I use it myself. I feel like, and I'm sure you know, in the world of men's health, blood flow is the key to a lot of function below the belt. And I think above the ears as well. That includes the brain, hopefully. And so, you know, we do test many of our patients for nitric oxide depletion. We do the testing developed by Dr. Nathan Bryan. We do supplement with capsules and, and lozenges. I'm a huge advocate of the powder that goes right into the, the water bottles and such. I use that as a pre-workout. There's no question that I feel the pump differently in a workout regimen when I do that. And I know that blood flow is critical for healing. So is it the primary cause of hair loss? No, because think about it this way. Why would the hair grow amazingly well around the sides and the back of the scalp, but not so well in the frontal part of the hairline? You've got much more blood flow here in the front of your face than you do in the back of your scalp. So I don't think that the blood flow restriction is really the primary problem. Although if you enhance blood flow, let's talk about the ways to do that. So we mentioned nitric oxide, and that's a nutraceutical, obviously. Low-level laser light therapy enhances blood flow. Minoxidil increases blood circulation, you know, enhances the microcirculation. Massage increases blood flow, at least temporarily. And there's been some studies that show that massage can help with hair loss, not just the increase in blood flow, but probably also the mechanical movement of the skin around the follicle. We can also increase blood flow using peptides like VEGF, for example. And today we have a device that pushes a peptide and growth factor serum right through the skin without a needle. And we use that in the office as a standalone therapy or in conjunction with other treatments or as an alternative to things like PRP because it doesn't require any needles. Are you using any copper peptides? We are. Yes. So copper tripeptide, copper GHK has been around for over 20 years. And I can say proudly that we turned a lot of scalps blue with copper (laughs) peptide when we were doing even the old fashioned hair transplants with the strip harvesting and such. And we use copper gel on the stitches. And we had the patients go home with these foil kits where they would squeeze out the liquid blue liquid on their scalp and wear little like shower caps and soak their scalp with the copper peptides. They would often use the copper peptide solutions in lieu of minoxidil if they couldn't tolerate it. This is before we had more custom compounded versions of those. That goes back to 1999. Yeah, so you've been using them for a while. Yeah, the company is called ProSite. Now, I have to say we haven't necessarily used them consistently for 20-something years, but we've certainly gotten back to it as we realize that copper peptide is important for healing and for hair growth. Some of our patients are injecting copper peptide just like they do glutathione and other antioxidants and things like that for healing and uh, BBC-157 and other things like that that could help with healing. But thymosin beta-4 is another good hair growth peptide. We use the proherin B4 or proherin beta-4. That's a small snippet, if you will, of the thymosin beta-4, which is a big molecule. The TB4 derivative, that proherin B4, that's inside the TED hair growth serum. So TED plus hair care serum is what we're applying with the ultrasound. We didn't talk about that, but that's a new technology 
that we're able to push these growth factors and peptides, VEGF, copper peptide, the proherin B4, dozens of amino acids, antioxidants, and so forth, skin conditioners, uh, as well as I, I think FGF, fibroblast growth factor, all of that's being pushed through the skin in a treatment. It takes less than a half an hour and no needles. Oh, wow. No downtime. What about oral supplements like a biotin, Nutrafol? You see those commercials everywhere. I'm assuming you probably have an oral supplement, but is there a supplement that you like? Yes. So, you know, I've been a, a big advocate of nutritionals for hair growth for a long time. I like the ones that have double blind randomized clinical trials behind them in the peer reviewed literature. And the original one, the OG was Viviscal, Viviscal Pro. And then Nutrafol came on the scene in around 2015, 2016. And I was probably the first board certified hair restoration physician to adopt a Nutrafol. I love the Ayurvedic components that it has. It took a completely holistic approach, which I loved, alternative to finasteride with the salt palmetto and such. We've always had very good response with that. I have a line of products that we call the Bauman MD Nutritional System for Wellness or Hair Wellness. And that includes a regular kind of a basic multivitamin, you know, the key components for good hair growth. It also We also have a biotin component. We call that the hero. It also has other things in there like collagen peptide powder specifically for hair and some other nuanced things like, for example, a probiotic, which we call the good guys. And then also another unique supplement called the recruiter, which pushes stem cells out of the bone marrow. So that's great for healing and also for hair growth and many patients who are doing PRP or transplants and things like that. So yeah, I'm a big advocate for nutritional supplementation and these, you know, Ayurvedic herbs or let's say medicinal herbs that we can prescribe as long as they're pure and they're good quality. There's a lot of garbage out there in the nutritional world, as we know, and you've got to keep an eye out for that. So I always look for proprietary components, these compounds or specific mixtures that are more tightly regulated, at least by their own companies rather than bulk supplements that are being shipped over from the Far East or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know? exactly. So just be careful out there. Yeah, no, we know that all too well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we spent a lot of time creating our nutritional and nutraceutical line, choosing suppliers and ingredient sourcing. It was a huge, heavy load, but I wasn't going to put crap in my body. I take them myself, and so there's no way I'm going to do any of that unless I've fully vetted those companies. So, and of course, in this day and age, you know, to boost your immune system is always a great idea in the day and age of COVID and the post pandemic world that we live in. You know, we have immune system boosters and everything from vitamin D to you name it in there, reishi mushrooms and such, which are helpful for immunity. And then the Zen Master, which is the ashwagandha for stress. Yeah. Let me just ask you one more question before we sign off here, because we're approaching our hour. The COVID thing, the COVID infection and or the COVID vaccine, are you seeing inflammation and the shedding of the hair there? Oh, absolutely. I've treated over a thousand COVID related hair loss patients and not just from the stress of lockdowns and financial instability and and the social separation and, you know, the falling off the wagon of all your health regimens from being, you know, locked down, shut out and shut up and all that. But for sure, the infection itself, when it creates a fever or not, there's a cytokine storm, big or small, it can dysregulate the hair follicle. We know all of those cytokines that are notorious in the cytokine storm are the ones that are dysregulating the hair follicles as well. So it's responsible for that. And then for sure, the mRNA, because what are you producing with the mRNA? You're producing the spike protein. So the spike protein dysregulates the immune system in and of itself. 
It blocks the microcirculation, disrupts the microvasculature, which, you know, maybe Jay Campbell's onto something. <laughs> maybe it's the microvasculature that gets dysregulated after the mRNA vaccine. We're seeing the incidence of strokes and the, the stimulation of autoimmune conditions. I've had patients who are in remission from alopecia areata for a decade. And then all of a sudden, you know, they got either an infection with COVID or they've got an mRNA vaccine on board. And all of a sudden, guess what? Their autoimmune is back with a vengeance. And it was not a coincidence. I mean, this is, you know, so many patients, a thousand patients that I've seen over the past two and a half years, so many that we just lost count. We just assume anybody coming in with a massive shed that they either had COVID or they didn't know they had COVID. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, it's yeah, unbelievable. Wow. And the long COVID patients, even worse. So Wow. So we treat them, we treat them with PRP or TED, the transepidermal delivery with the growth factors and peptides. That's a great option. You know, we modulate the inflammation with the nutraceuticals, the curcumin, turmeric components like the Nutrafol and things like that. We measure their hair, we measure the shedding. We have ways to anchor their hair. Maybe we put them on minoxidil, topical or oral. So there's a lot of things that we can do. Laser light therapy as well. So if the listeners want to get in touch with you, I'm assuming you can do some telehealth and they'll eventually have to come see you, but how do they find you? Telehealth or telehair, as we say in this <laughs> world. So the best way to get started if you're out there with some hair thinning problem and you're just not sure where to turn, or maybe you've tried some things and they just didn't work, or you visited somebody for some advice and didn't really get you where you wanted to go, you got to go to baumannmedical.com, B-A-U-M-A-N medical.com hundreds, if not a thousand pages of information there that you can start sorting through. You can also click the link to request a consultation. And it can be from your home or from your phone. It could be in the office, in person where we get to do the measurements, but everything can be started online virtually, as we say, with the telehair process. And we'll take great care of you. We don't like to lose in this world. My team and I are very competitive when it comes to hair numbers. And so if you're on our team, then we're not going to let you lose hair. You can have my promise on that. We're going to do everything within our power to get you the results, whether it be through transplantation or regenerative medicine, the latest and greatest treatments and procedures. And you're going to know what's working and what's not way before you see it with the naked eye, because those measurements don't lie. They tell us exactly what's going on. So baumannmedical.com, that's the place to go. And as always, I'll connect all this information into our show notes so people can easily access it. You had a lot of great information and I appreciate you being on the show today. Well, I appreciate you, Amy. Thank you so much for sharing this information with your listeners and your followers. 